Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. Fans have been glued to the Timeless Writers Twitter account, at the Timeless Room, in recent days. While we've been waiting for news of a renewal for season 3, which still hasn't come, they've been keeping our spirits up by releasing deleted scenes from season 2. They started with what must be the most requested scene of all, an alternate version of the Hollywood land pool scene, in which Wyatt and Lucy end up in the pool. Supposedly this wasn't used because of technical difficulties, but there didn't seem to be much wrong with it in that regard. Matt Lanter revealed on Twitter that they only did one take with them in the pool. It was a nighttime scene and the sun was about to come up so they couldn't try it again. But really it seemed like they got it in one take. The scene was unanimously popular all over the internet and got 100k views in less than a day. If you were to ask me whether this should have been used in preference to the version that they broadcast, I don't know. Both are good and it's nice to have seen both now. I could probably spend quite a lot of this podcast talking about the deleted scenes, but I'll just mention the next two for now and pick this up again next time. We got two deleted scenes from Season 2, Episode 1. In the first, Carol tells Lucy that they are both directly descended from David Rittenhouse. This is quite a shock, and it has all kinds of repercussions. It explains why Emma calls Lucy Princess all the time. It also means that Lucy had a very close call when Flynn wanted to kill David Rittenhouse's son. Erica Lizanne Mittman talked about this a little bit on Twitter and says we can all consider this canon in the show now. As a writer and executive producer on the show, I guess we can take her word for this. The third deleted scene comes from later in that episode... Wyatt finds Lucy apparently asleep. He pulls a blanket over her and kisses her on the forehead. He walks away and then Lucy opens her eyes, revealing that she was awake the whole time. It shows how much Wyatt cares about her, how much it means to him that he rescued her. And it means Lucy knows it, which means, in terms of the romance between them, she knew that it was a possibility now. Apparently the writers felt that if they included this scene it would have advanced the romance too quickly. To me, it escalates very quickly anyway in the next two episodes. And including this more tender moment between them would have helped to show Wyatt in a more positive light. But I shouldn't spoil where the story is going with Wyatt and Lucy. What I should really do now is talk about an episode. This time I'm looking at Season 2, Episode 5... The Kennedy Curse. The episode starts in Wallingford, Connecticut, September 17th, 1934. A 17-year-old student named Jack is talking to a friend. The friend asks if Jack might have had something to do with a fire alarm being set off. And did it have anything to do with Jack sneaking out with a girl? Jack says there's not a soul who can prove it. A teacher approaches them and tells Jack he'd like to speak to him in his office. Jack agrees. Jack tells his friend not to be late for the Muckers Club meeting that night, which is a pretty big clue as to who Jack is. 
The moment they're alone, the teacher reaches into a desk drawer for a gun. But before he can shoot Jack, Garcia Flynn bursts in and starts shooting at the teacher. We cut to Gia, who is looking down at Lucy, who is just waking up. It seems Lucy has had a fever after being stabbed in the arm in the previous episode in Salem. Lucy asks about Wyatt. Gia tells her he's out on a mission. Lucy says he shouldn't have gone without her. Gia tells Lucy that Flynn went with Wyatt. I'm not sure if she thinks that will reassure Lucy. If so, it doesn't exactly set her mind at rest. What could go wrong, Lucy says. Understandably, she doesn't have a lot of confidence that Wyatt and Flynn can get along. The conversation turns into a bit of a heart-to-heart between them. Rufus has told Gia what happened in Hollywood between Lucy and Wyatt. Gia says it would have been weird anyway if Lucy had gone on the mission with Wyatt now that Jessica is back on the scene. It's nice to see Gia being kind of like a sister to Lucy here. Lucy says again that she wants Wyatt to be happy. This is what he's always wanted. Gia says, what about what you want? Lucy says, they're still friends, they have the missions, it'll be fine. She struggles up out of the bed. Gia says to take it easy today. Lucy agrees. No heroics, I'm just going to get some tea. And who should be making tea but Jessica? Lucy tries to turn around and go back to bed, but Jessica asks if she wants tea. She says she tends bar for a living, so it's impossible for her to let someone else serve their own drink. Lucy relents and sits down. Jessica says she knows Lucy is a historian, but doesn't exactly know what a historian does. Wyatt has told Jessica that he wouldn't survive the missions without Lucy. Lucy says it's really more the other way around. Lucy asks if she met Wyatt at the bar where she works. Jessica says no, they met in high school. It's kind of surprising that Lucy doesn't know this. But Jessica says Wyatt isn't much of a talker. She asks Lucy if she's married. We get a flash of the geeky version of Lucy, embarrassed at the very idea of being married. She says she was engaged once, briefly, which is a funny reference to Noah. It's complicated, she admits. Jessica blurts out that she and Wyatt have been in counselling for two years, at least in her reality, not in his. She says this time travel stuff really messes with your head. It's cleverly written, this scene. Jessica demonstrates that she knows more about Wyatt than Lucy does, and it's all very awkward. Suddenly, the lifeboat arrives back from 1934, It's rare that we ever see the lifeboat coming back to the present day this early in an episode. I can think of maybe one other case. But it signals that this is going to be quite unlike any episode we've seen before. Wyatt and Rufus climb out of the machine. Wyatt tells Agent Christopher that they were scrambling around without Lucy there to figure out what Rittenhouse were after. And they couldn't shoot back because of the kids... Wyatt says they had to split up and they left Flynn behind. They're going to recharge the lifeboat and go back and pick him up after they deal with their situation. And then he pulls an unconscious Jack from the mothership. They put him down on one of the beds. Lucy comes in and recognises immediately that this is a young JFK. 
Rufus admits it's true. Christopher asks if they're out of their minds, bringing President Kennedy to the future. But Wyatt and Rufus insist it was their only option, and they have a plan. Flynn will sort out Rittenhouse in 1934, they'll recharge the lifeboat and take JFK back. Then JFK wakes up. They try to reassure him they don't mean him any harm. They claim to be private security working for JFK's father. Lucy says she just got off the phone with him and he's on his way. They tell John to rest until they can take him home. And everyone else files out of the room, sealing the door behind them. Wyatt and Lucy hang back from the others a bit. Wyatt asks her if she's okay. She says she's fine. She says that John F. Kennedy was supposed to have a way of making a woman feel like she was the only one who mattered, even when he was married to someone else. Which is Lucy's way of telling Wyatt that she's a little bit disappointed in him, maybe. He apologises, saying he didn't have a choice. She starts to say that this is really awkward for her, and then Jessica interrupts them. Lucy says she's going to get John something to eat. While she does that, Agent Christopher talks to her. Christopher thinks Lucy is upset because her mother tried to have her hanged at Salem. Unlike Gia, she doesn't know anything about Wyatt and Lucy. Lucy says she doesn't really want to talk about it. Lucy makes John a toasted sandwich of sorts. She's made it one-handed, and it's a rather messy thing, overloaded with various fillings. Whether this is the kind of sandwich Lucy normally makes, or she's just very distracted, I'm not sure. Agent Christopher isn't sure what Lucy has made. But anyway, Lucy heads back towards John with the sandwich and finds that he has escaped the room through a shaft. They all know they have to recover him. They discuss the terrible impact on history if he doesn't get back where he's supposed to be. Rufus says he and Gia will monitor traffic cameras to see if they can find him that way. Wyatt says he will go out looking for JFK. He tells Lucy to sit this one out, and Jessica says she can go with him. At first everyone says that's a bad idea, the missions are dangerous. She looks at Lucy and says, well, she's a teacher, which doesn't go down well with Lucy. Wyatt decides Jessica can go with him after all, at which point Lucy changes her mind and says that she will go with them too. Gia says the closest building is a gas station two miles away, and that's exactly where JFK is at that moment. He is completely bewildered by everything he sees at the gas station. He tries to get the guy working there to make a phone call for him, but of course a phone number from 1934 isn't valid. He sees a magazine and discovers the year is 2018. He gets spooked by some car headlights outside and tries to hide behind one of the aisles. A girl is there with a couple of friends. She asks him if something is wrong. He asks where they're going, and can he get a ride with them. He's surprised to discover he's in California now. They think he's weird, but the girl, Kayla, seems to like him and she says he can go with them. The credits are on screen at this point. This episode is written by Lana Cho. She previously wrote episodes 3 and 11 of Time of Season 1. That was Atomic City and the World's Columbian Exposition. 
and this episode is directed by Holly Dale. She previously directed episode 7 of Timeless Season 1, which was the Stranded episode. Gia and Rufus are discussing how easy or difficult it's going to be to find Kennedy. Connor Mason joins them. Gia says that since they still know who Kennedy is, things must turn out well. Connor sees what she's getting at. If history had changed already, then they wouldn't even know who Kennedy is. But Rufus says that's fine for now, but it could all change in an instant if Kennedy gets hit by a car. Gia says maybe history doesn't change so easily like when her prophecy about Rufus in Salem essentially came true, even though the details were slightly changed. Mason is hearing some of this for the first time and tries to question them about it, but Gia won't say any more. She's still frustrated that Rufus doesn't agree with her about her visions. Wyatt, Lucy and Jessica arrive at the gas station. Lucy tells them that she will say she's John's brother and he's off his meds. Wyatt asks who he is in this scenario. Lucy says, you're my friend. We can be friends, can't we? Which, of course, has a double meaning. Jessica doesn't read anything into that, but she asks, why don't you just say that Wyatt is in the military? And then the staff here will have to answer his questions. Which sounds like that would work too, but Lucy says they like to keep a lower profile than that. Wyatt does actually try this I'm-with-the-military approach, but he just scares the guy working there. So Lucy goes with the brother-meds angle, and that eventually works. Jessica is able to name the meds John is taking, which helps to add credibility to the story. Wyatt looks surprised that Jessica is able to come up with a name for an antipsychotic. These scenes are the first time we've seen Wyatt and Jessica really pulling together on something. And a subtle part of the way these scenes are played is, how well does Wyatt know her now? Is this the Jessica he remembers, or has she changed? They learn that John left with the other kids, headed towards Palo Alto in a red BMW. We cut to Kennedy in that car. Kayla is asking him why he's wearing the funny suit, from 1934, and what's going on with him. He tells them he was kidnapped and held in a bunker, which sounds like a crazy story. He's also suffering from stomach pains, which seem to be getting worse, and they decide they need to take him to a hospital. Rufus is trying to trace the BMW, but he's lost sight of it, but he knows the general direction it was headed. He lists off the places they could be going. Lucy hits on the hospital as the most likely destination knowing that John had a history of health problems. Incidentally, Lucy is wearing a very oversized coat during all of these scenes, sort of wrapped around her and around her injured arm. There's been some speculation that maybe she's wearing one of Flynn's coats, but we don't know. If so, did she just help herself to it? We cut to Emma, Carol and Nicholas Keynes. Emma is admitting that they've lost Kennedy. She says he was taken into the lifeboat. She thinks he's here in the present day. 
Keynes says Kennedy galvanised the USA in a direction contrary to Rittenhouse's aims. He wants someone in the White House that they can control, like Nixon. Carol tells them about Kennedy's health problems, essentially repeating the speech Lucy just gave. It's a recurring theme how alike they are as historians, not in other ways. She says they need to search every hospital in the city. When he shows, they can take him out. Emma says she'll take care of it. Keane says if she runs into Lucy and her friends, she should take them out too. And Carol looks worried about that possibility, but she doesn't say anything. Her willingness to remove Kennedy from history is further evidence that she's completely on board with Rittenhouse's agenda. Agent Christopher is heading somewhere in her car. She's talking to another agent and tells him to call her when they've got the license plate of the BMW. She stops the car at some lights and then the window of her car is smashed. A man reaches in and injects her with something, knocking her unconscious. The man gets in the car and drives her away. Back with Mason, Rufus and Gia. Mason is frustrated with the search. He says what they need are drones and he goes off to call Agent Christopher. Rufus asks Gia if she still thinks they're going to find Kennedy. Gia says Rufus needs to have faith. He says he doesn't believe in God. He talks about his family and how it was Rufus who provided for them, not some higher power. Gia, though, is wondering if her cured heart murmur and her visions coming true is all happening for a reason. Now, I think it's good, and all part of Timeless's advocacy of diversity and inclusion, that characters can have differing opinions and beliefs. We know that some of the characters in the show are religious to some extent. Lucy, for example, and even Flynn to some degree. But it doesn't have to be true for everyone in the show. Rufus is a man of science, and it's clear to anyone that he's a kind, good-hearted man. Connor comes back to them and says that he can't get hold of Agent Christopher, and no one knows where she is. We cut to Agent Christopher. A bag is pulled off her head and she's facing Carol Preston. The guy who abducted Denise is not present, so this is a conversation just for the two of them. Carol says she was young when she got pregnant with Lucy. At first, she intended to give her up for adoption, to keep her away from Rittenhouse. Unlike Lucy, Carol learned of Rittenhouse when she was just 15. She describes it as a burden, but as Lucy grew inside her, she knew she couldn't do that. There was no way she was going to let her go. She's telling Christopher this because she feels she can't protect Lucy anymore. If Lucy continues to interfere with their plans, then Rittenhouse will kill her. She wants Agent Christopher to keep Lucy off the missions, to keep her safe. Christopher says if Carol thinks that is going to work, then she doesn't know her daughter very well. Carol says Denise better think about it long and hard. It would be a shame if her children grew up without a mother. Looking at the precise words that Carol uses there, without a mother, I think Carol is threatening not just Denise, but also her wife too. <laughs> Lucy 
Lucy, Wyatt and Jessica arrive at the hospital. Wyatt and Jessica reminisce about a surfing accident in Hawaii. Wyatt ended up in the hospital with concussion and Jessica didn't leave his side for days. Jessica seems pleased that Wyatt even remembers this. Lucy didn't know that Wyatt could surf and is understandably put out to be in this situation. There's a nice subtle clumsy Lucy moment in this scene where she's so surprised to discover that Wyatt can surf that she almost walks into a tree. <laughs> John is in one of the hospital rooms. Kayla comes back to see him. She says she has to leave soon to go to a party. She asks if there's anyone she can call for him and he tells her his story, which he knows sounds crazy, of being kidnapped and brought to the future. She tells him there's no such thing as a time machine. So he comes to the realisation that the time machine might be one of a kind and perhaps he has to go back to the bunker. Lucy asks at the reception desk and they realise that John is there. The receptionist says he's a popular kid. His friends want to get to the party. She says she told his aunt that they would all have to wait until there's an update. Uh, at that moment she's called away from the desk and Wyatt is able to see Kennedy's room number. So they just head up there. The aunt of course is not his aunt, it's Emma Whitmore. She goes into John's room first but he's not there. Wyatt sees her go in and follows after her. She attacks him as he goes in and they have a really brutal fight. I think this is the most dangerous Emma has been portrayed in any scene to this point. You really feel that she's as tough as Wyatt, if not tougher. Wyatt is barely fending her off when Lucy and Jessica go into the room. Lucy steers Jessica to a slightly safer position and then whacks Emma over the head with a metal tray. But she recovers and in a split second she has a knife at Lucy's throat. Lucy tells Wyatt to shoot Emma but he doesn't have a clear shot and can't do it. Emma says, maybe her life doesn't matter anymore now that you have your wife back. Wyatt's concern for Lucy is obvious, even to Jessica, who suddenly realises there might be more to Wyatt and Lucy's relationship than she knew. Emma doesn't know what happened in Hollywood. The only people who know about that are Wyatt and Lucy themselves and Rufus and Gia. I think Emma is probably thinking of the World War I episode at the beginning of the season where Wyatt was willing to exchange Nicholas Keynes for Lucy. Emma knows from that that Lucy is important to Wyatt. Emma eventually pushes Lucy away and escapes the room. Jessica now has a very strong suspicion that there is something between Wyatt and Lucy. Lucy tells Wyatt to go after Emma, but when he tries to, he runs straight into the path of a hospital security officer and he has to put his gun down and give up the pursuit. It's interesting to look at any of these early scenes with Jessica and ask what's going on here if Jessica is a Rittenhouse agent, which at this point we don't know one way or the other. Emma definitely knows who Jessica is, but this isn't surprising because we know that Rittenhouse brought her back. Beyond that, Emma appears to have very little interest in her and certainly doesn't see her as any kind of threat. Wyatt is taken away in handcuffs. Lucy is following after, berating the security officer for arresting the wrong man. She sees a paper clip on a folder outside one of the hospital rooms and pushes the clip into Wyatt's hand. 
We know from past experience that this is all Wyatt's going to need to free himself. Lucy and Jessica go outside to wait for him. Jessica confronts Lucy about her feelings for him. Or rather, Wyatt's feelings for her. She says it doesn't take a professor to figure it out. Wyatt wasn't faithful to her before, so why would he be when he thought she was dead? Which is a bleak way to describe their relationship. Again, though, it depends whether we can believe anything she says. If she is a Rittenhouse agent, then all these bad things she's saying about Wyatt, that he was unfaithful, that he was secretive, that they were in counselling, that he was drunk five nights a week, this could all be untrue. We just don't know. Jessica says that Wyatt does deserve another chance, but not with her, with Lucy. She says to tell him she said bye, and she starts to walk away. But Lucy goes after her, and tells her everything Wyatt has done to try to save her, including getting court-martialed. And it's all true. And Lucy does it because she is not selfish about her own happiness. Not at all. While Jessica is considering all this, Wyatt arrives in the car, having escaped. Lucy says, are you in? Jessica nods, persuaded that walking away is not the right thing to do just now, and they both get back in the car. Kayla and John are at the party now. Kayla's friends are saying maybe she shouldn't have brought him here. He's claiming to be John F. Kennedy, like the president. Kayla says her mother will be back tomorrow. She's a shrink and she helps people like John all the time. I think this makes Kayla's actions a lot more credible. Otherwise, there isn't much to explain how helpful she's being, other than because of John's supposed irresistibleness to women. She tells John that it's going to be difficult to find a secret bunker in the dark and they should wait till morning. And he agrees without much argument. Back at Carol and Agent Christopher... Carol asks if Denise has had time to reconsider. Denise tells her she has. She says, after a school shooting in 2011, she took her kids out of school to homeschool them. Her son was angry with her. The story goes on a while and Carol realises that Denise is just stalling and then she realises that she's chipped with a tracker. Denise says someone will be here for her any minute now. The guy who abducted Denise in the first place is back in the room now. Carol turns to him and says, do it. He steps forward and punches Denise in the face. Wyatt is talking to Rufus on the phone, admitting that they missed JFK at the hospital. Jessica says, have they checked social media? If JFK is at a party, there's a good chance he'll get a mention. Lucy says that's actually a good idea and tells Rufus to look into it. Kayla and John have gone upstairs to escape the noise of the party. While John is admiring the books in her room, Kayla picks up an iPad and Googles Kennedy and realises he really does look like him. She starts to believe he really is President Kennedy. John doesn't believe he could become president. His brother Joe might do. She looks up Joe for him and he reads about his brother's life and death in World War II. 
She tells him about the Kennedy curse, the idea that the family was cursed because so many of them died so young. Kayla is starting to think John shouldn't read any further, but he continues and learns of his own death. Searching online, Gia finds a photo of John taken at the party and gives Wyatt the address. Then we see Connor finding Agent Christopher in her car outside her home. He says they tracked her with her chip. She tells Connor that Carol wanted to have a little chat with her. Denise's daughter comes out onto the front porch and calls out to her. Denise tells her to go back inside and she'll be in in a minute. The writers had said we'd see more of Agent Christopher's family this season and this little scene starts to do that. At the party, Kayla shows John a coin with his face on it but he's drinking and generally unhappy about all the death in his family that he's just learned about. Wyatt, Lucy and Jessica arrive in the grounds outside. A kid shouts out, someone's mum is here. Lucy sneakily points her thumb at Jessica, which is rather mischievous of her. Kind of saying, yeah, she's the older person, not me. Lucy says to Wyatt that if they find John, she'll phone him. She's struck by the novelty of that because they don't usually have cell phones in the past. Wyatt searches the house and finds John and Kayla. John says he knows his father didn't send Wyatt. Wyatt apologises for lying to him, but says they have to go. John says he wants to go home. Wyatt is more than happy to do that. It's what he wants. But just when it looks like John will go peacefully, he makes a run for it. The coin that has John's face on it morphs into one with Nixon's face. Which is a cool effect, but a bit of a problem for the story. I don't think they should have done that, really. It's not clear that Wyatt would even know who JFK is at that point, if history has changed already to that extent. Anyway, John runs straight into Emma, who points a gun at him. But before she can fire, Wyatt catches up with them and shoots at Emma. She uses one of the other kids as a shield and then escapes. With everyone safe again, John says goodbye to Kayla. She believes now that he really is John F. Kennedy. She says she won't tell anyone about him. He says meeting her gives him hope for the future. Back in the bunker, they prepare to take John back to 1934. Rufus says John shouldn't mention any of this to anyone, ever. The safety of the world depends on it. John is struggling with the knowledge of what happens to his siblings and his own assassination. Rufus makes a decision and tells him not to go to Dallas in November 1963. John asks if he was a good president. Lucy tells him he was one of the greatest. He heads up into the lifeboat with Wyatt and Rufus. Meanwhile, Denise and Connor arrive back and Denise says she needs to talk to Lucy. Denise tells her that Rittenhouse wants her dead and maybe she should consider staying off the missions. Lucy says no. Everyone else is risking their lives to stop Rittenhouse. There is no way she is hiding in the bunker. Denise says if she were her daughter, she'd be proud of her. The lifeboat arrives back and Flynn climbs out. He says someone needs to work out how to put more seats into the lifeboat. Gia says we're working on it. It would be easy to think that this is just a throwaway comment. But what's this space, folks? 
Flynn says work faster. He's not impressed that he got left behind with not enough seats in the lifeboat. Denise asks him if he got the sleeper. He says yes, all three of them. Rufus excitedly asks what happened to Kennedy. Denise tells him that he was assassinated two years into office. Rufus says, but he told him not to go to Dallas. Denise says he was killed in Austin. Rufus looks crestfallen, but Gia says she guesses it was just meant to be. Later on, Wyatt bumps into Lucy, somewhere near the showers, I think, in the bunker. It's awkward, but he thanks her for what she said to Jessica at the hospital. He says she's going to give him another chance. Lucy says the history he has with Jessica is special, and he deserves to finally be happy. He tells her he has no regrets. I believe he is referring to what happened between them, especially in Hollywood. She says that she doesn't have regrets either. He says, see you around the bunker, baby doll. And she says, see you around the bunker, sweetheart, which is a reference back to the Bonnie and Clyde episode where they first kissed. I'm sometimes surprised when I read comments on social media where people can have very different interpretations of scenes like this one. Admittedly, there aren't many words in this exchange, and a lot of the meaning is in what they don't say, as much as what they do say. To me, it's clear that Wyatt wants Lucy to know how much he does care about her. But at this moment in time, he cannot choose her over Jessica. It's just not possible for him to do that, however much the audience might wish that he would. What Wyatt and Lucy don't see, but we do, is that Garcia Flynn has overheard their conversation. A little later, Flynn is walking through the bunker and finds Lucy alone watching a movie. He takes two beers from the fridge, sits down beside her, and offers one to her. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> If you told me a couple of episodes earlier that Wyatt, Jessica and Lucy would be running around California together chasing John F. Kennedy, I would not have believed you. It's an incredible feat of writing sleight of hand that got us to this point so quickly. Even more surprising is that it works. Lana Cho has crafted a great script here. Of course, this is all a terrible thing to happen to Lucy. Whether it's good or bad for Wyatt remains to be seen. Writers who know what they're doing will generally take characters you care about and put them into a terrible situation and then make it worse. That's what's going on here and it makes for a gripping arc in the show. Quite apart from all that, this is a fantastic episode in its own right. The actor playing Kennedy, Grant Jordan, does a terrific job and I think Raina Hardesty is great too as Kayla. The fight between Wyatt and Emma is brutal, as I said before, brilliantly directed by Holly Dale. I think she has a real flair for action scenes, as well as the quieter, more emotional moments. It's obviously a format-busting episode. Most of it is happening in the present day. It's terrific that the writers, producers, are looking for ways to mix things up. They tried something different here, and it really worked. 
That's all for this episode. Next time I'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 6, The King of the Delta Blues, which also does some things that are very new in Timeless. All the podcasts so far are available on the site, timelessfiles.podbean.com, or in all the usual podcasting places, including iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @timelessfiles. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.